Bom dia, boa tarde. Welcome to another PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. My name is John Neves, your host, dropping episode number 51 on Friday evening, January the 15th. How are you? How are you doing? I hope you are all doing well and that this podcast comes to you safe and sound during these crazy pandemic times. A lot of uh, bad news this week in Portugal, uh, which I'll talk about a little bit later on this podcast in terms of that in the Liga. Um, but uh, for now, for the next 20 to 30 minutes, we're going to talk about our favorite topic, and that, of course, is Portuguese football, Portuguese soccer, whatever word you use in your part of the world. Very busy day today, Friday, of course, the Clásico, and of course, Sporting was playing Viuav, the big three, all in action. It was the second straight Friday that we had the big three playing. Uh, last Friday, a set of circumstances between uh, some issues with the teams in the island, with the weather and the pitch, uh, forced a scheduling reshuffle, and as a result, uh, you know, teams like Sporting and uh, Benfica played last Friday, which they weren't originally scheduled to, and then of course Porto was already scheduled to play last Friday. So you had those three playing last Friday, and then again today. Although today the reason why all three of them played is because next week is of course the League Cup Final Four in Leiria, the Tasa de Liga. And that's why we had the uh, big three all playing today. And it was a great Friday. I know some people wish that it was on the weekend because on weekends, of course, many people have a lot more time to watch the uh, game without rushing from work and, and things of that nature, um, unless, of course, you're working from home these days. But um, tomorrow, Sunday and Monday, we pretty much finish round 14, week 14. The the match to look for is essentially the match on Saturday. And that's, of course, Braga playing at Passos de Ferreira. That is a very big match. It's essentially fourth and fifth place. Uh, Braga, if they could earn the three points, would be only two points behind Porto and Benfica. Braga has a dream. They want to play, finish in the top three for Champions League next season. Top two, of course, as I've repeated in the past, go straight to the uh, groups. Uh, third place goes into the preliminary, and Braga wants to be one of those teams to be in one of those spots, and they can go a long way to do that, taking advantage of the classic draw by getting the three points tomorrow. But of course, we know it won't be easy. Basus, of course, is having a fantastic season. They're eyeing a Europa spot. Of course, they already beat Porto, so this is not a team to take uh, very easy. Uh, and there's no doubt that Carlos Carvajal, who's done a fantastic job in Portugal, first with Rio Ave last year, and this year with Braga, who are playing some of their best, uh, basically their best action over these last few months. Um, he's going to need the best of his managerial style to get them the three points uh, tomorrow. But pretty much, again, week 14. And by the way, we are already in the middle of January, and we are only at week 14. Of course, that's because the league has started later. But that just tells you how much more games we have left between here and the middle of May, because don't forget, we've got the Euro in June, and I'll talk about the Euro a little bit later, but it's going to be a very busy schedule. For a fan, it's awesome, plenty of opportunity to watch your favorite Liga, but of course for the players and the coaches, they're not happy about it. They want their rest, they want their opportunity to strategize and get ready for games, but uh, that's just the year that this pandemic has brought us where everything is condensed. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of next week, of course, is the Tasa de Liga, the League Cup Final Four. Uh, Tuesday, Sporting Porto, second time these teams will be playing this season. First time they played was earlier in the Liga season in Alvalade, a 2-2 draw. 
Uh, Braga then will be playing Benfica on Wednesday. Braga already defeated Benfica this season, so they'll be looking to continue that. And then next Saturday will be the final of the uh, two winners um, looking to win the trophy. I believe this is the 13th competition. I, I remember each one when they first created this competition. And as I've said in past episodes, I like this competition, especially with the uh, the way they do the format now with, you know, the groups. And then, uh, you know, you play, you really only got to win like six or seven matches to win the League Cup. Uh, I know some people don't like it, but again, I like it. Um, and then, of course, uh, one interesting thing about the schedule is that next week, week five, week 15, um, right now, Sporting, Braga, Porto, and Benfica games are scheduled for Sunday. So essentially, you've got the Tasa League final next Saturday. And then week uh, week 15 is supposed to start that Sunday. And the four semifinal teams and their games are all scheduled for that Sunday. But of course, that will change uh, depending on what happens in terms of whoever the winners are. Of the semifinals, those matches will probably be pushed back a few days. The losers will probably still play either that Sunday or Monday. And it should also be mentioned that after week 15 next weekend, boom, we go right away to the Taça de Portugal. So a very, very busy month of January uh, so far. But again, as fans, we love it. It's more football, more soccer for us to see. But again, for the teams, it means less rest. And it's the reason why they try to have the depth they do at their positions to make sure that they are able to handle this workload. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the Tasa de Liga next week. You know, we've got back-to-back big matches played, especially Sporting and Porto. Um, so that'll be a lot of uh, opportunity to go see some real good games next week as well as the final. Part two, I'm going to talk about player abroad, or as I like to call it, player alumni from Portugal abroad. Talk about the Classico tonight, as well as uh, the big three and some other news in Portugal. And I'll, I'll start off first with uh, really need to give a shout out to Abel Ferreira, who has got Palmeiras into the Copa Libertadores. Uh, Abel has pretty much followed JJ in Brazil and, and really brought the good Portuguese name. Uh, JJ, of course, had all that success, and then there were a number of Portuguese managers that came and unfortunately didn't do very well. But Abel, of course, has really done a great job getting Palmeiras to the Copa Libertadores. Um, There was some uh, on social media of Palmeiras. They showed him up in the, um, I guess you would call it maybe the bleachers or the stands, and he was watching uh, training, and uh, players one by one were going up to talk to him, and that's probably something that maybe Brazilians aren't used to, that type of style, but that's certainly what he's bringing. But at the end of the day, he has a chance to win a major international trophy. And obviously, uh, there's no doubt that uh, everybody, much like last year when JJ was competing um, for the Libertadores Cup, uh, I'm sure everybody will be uh, rooting for him. So I'm really looking forward to that game on uh, January the 30th, which is a Saturday night, in case uh, you wondered. Uh, I remember, Abel, when um, he was fired by Bruno Carvalho as uh, the sporting uh, B-team manager. And then, of course, he went to uh, Braga. And he pretty much resuscitated his career there. And now he's on the verge of uh, really bringing his name even bigger in Europe. Remember, he was managing Pac when they knocked uh, when Pac knocked Benfica out of the Champions League. So it's been a very good year uh, for him. 
not to mention uh, what he's done also in the past with uh, Braga. So he has really done a, a very, very uh, good job. And it'd be very curious to see uh, whether or not if he wins the Copa Libertadores, whether or not he will stick around because there's no doubt that some bigger clubs in Europe are going to start paying attention to him. Uh, so I'd be very curious to see his trajectory. And again, much like JJ, you know, a lot of people have fallen in love with him. The fans love him. You're at that point when you're a manager where it seems like you can do no wrong and everybody is just happy. Uh, but it'd be curious to see what he does uh, after, if he could win the Copa Libertadores. Uh, I'd be very curious to see what will happen next uh, in his career. Uh, Bruno Fernandez. Uh, you know, what can you say about Bruno? He just continues to take care of business. Uh, won his fourth Premier League Player of the Month award. Uh, Cristiano only won it in his six years there four times. Uh, so he's managed to do it already in uh, in one year. Uh, actually, it's still a little bit under one year when he joined Manchester. So he's done it in, uh, in about 11 months. Um, but the one thing that I like about Bruno is, you know, the Premier League is the best team in the world. It is the most competitive league in the world. It also has some of the most demanding fan bases. You know, everybody in Portugal thinks that they have very demanding fan bases. But when you're on the wrong side of results in England, um, it can be pretty brutal being a manager, uh, being a player in England. But Bruno... Um, you know, you look at him, you know, here he is playing for one of the big clubs in the world, certainly in marketing, certainly based on history and titles. And he just looks like he's having a good time. He really wants to win. Every every single euro they paid for him, he wants to make it worth their while. There's no doubt that the way he's playing, that Sporting's going to earn a little bit more money on bonuses. But Bruno is just doing so well and he's not letting the attention and the spotlight bother him. And, you know, that's kind of one good thing about the Portuguese league is, you know, not only do we produce or not necessarily me, the clubs produce players, but they also produce players that are strong in the head. And uh, a lot of these players, when they go to play in other big teams in Europe, they know what it's like to play in front of a demanding fan base. They know what it's like, especially when you're going to a team to have to immediately contribute results and statistics and to score right away or solve a problem. Um, I've said in this podcast, I like Arsenal. And I always wonder, although there isn't as many rumors with Arsenal with Portuguese players compared to some of the other clubs in, uh, in England. But I always wonder, knowing what I know about how rabid the fan base is of Arsenal, you know, I always feel bad if a Portuguese player goes there because it's not the greatest situation and the pressure right now is incredible uh, to succeed. But, you know, Portuguese players, they really seem to handle that very well. Uh, Cedric's doing a, you know, an okay job with Arsenal, but um, the bottom line is, is that Portuguese players as a whole in other clubs in Europe, the bigger clubs in Europe really seem to excel, uh, you know, Rafael Leon, with uh, AC Milan, you know, here he has this uh, situation with sporting and, you know, the fact that he's able to still score goals uh, is just really impressive that he's still able to maintain 
that mindset. And that's a real compliment to him. And, uh, and then of course you've got Portuguese players like Andre Silva, who didn't necessarily work out in Milan, but still keep the confidence and doing a hell of a job right now in uh, Germany. So um, Bruno Fernandes is, I think much like Abel is doing with managers in Brazil, you know, raising the Portuguese flag and showing the people, the type of pedigree, the type of talent that there is in Portugal. And although of course we have to sell talent, to make money in Portugal, um, I think a lot of people, and the reason why Portuguese players are in demand is simply because of the uh, the ability of these players to handle the stress. And in the case of Bruno, help take your team to another level, which obviously if we know of Manchester's uh, United struggles, he has certainly made them you know, a lot better. Uh, Classico tonight, yeah, transitioning out to the Classico. Um, you know, I said before the Classico that this was a game where you had to win the Classico because if Sporting won, you run the risk of being seven points behind. And then, of course, there's the draw with Sporting. Uh, JJ, by the way, didn't know that there was a draw until after the match in the flash zone, which I found interesting. But you needed to win tonight to be able to cut the the deficit of four points to uh, or five. But if you won, you could have gotten as close as two points. and. I think tonight, I know people feel differently that I've spoken to, but I think tonight was a lost opportunity for both teams, Porto and Benfica. Um, you know, talk about problems with the referees. You could talk about who played better and who really wanted to win. All the things that we hear in Portuguese football when our, when the team doesn't win, it's always because this is what should have happened. And that becomes the narrative because if things were done this way and the referee called it this way, this would have been the fair result. This is in Portugal. What matters at the end of the day is the standings. And entering into week 13, uh, week 14, excuse me, Sporting had a four-point lead. For these teams now after week 14, uh, the big three, Sporting's still going to have a four-point lead. And I think at the end of the day, that's what really matters. So I know a lot of people get upset at uh, decisions during the game. They get upset of things that don't go their way. But uh, it doesn't matter whether or not your team played better or not. What matters at the end of the day is the result because I've never heard of a result ever being overturned in Portugal. I've never heard of a match being replayed unless there was weather issues or something. But it was a missed opportunity tonight for Porto and Benfica. And I think if you're sporting, um, you really have to feel like the biggest winner tonight was you. And even though you had a disappointing uh, draw at home, and it was very disappointing, uh, the bottom line is, is like Ruben Amorim said in his press conference, you know, they're still in first place and they still have that four-point lead, which is like two games. And I think that's what's, you know, most important. And JJ's already said that it was a very... Bad result. They dropped two points. Uh, Conceição wasn't very happy. He made his feelings known. Uh, there was a bit of a situation after the match with uh, JJ and Conceição. Uh, first off, if you don't know, you know these guys have known each other a long time. They're friends. They talk. Uh, Conceição many years ago played for JJ, very young in his career. But from what I saw on TV, uh, the video. Uh, it looked like uh, Conceição was not happy with something. JJ didn't like the way he worded it to him, and they became a thing of words. And, uh, you know, look, two weeks from now, they'll talk and they'll forget all about it because two weeks from now, we'll have a different storyline. By then, 
you know, you were already had the dust of the Liga. You were already had the next round of the dust of the Portugal. You already have the Derby. So there'll be other things to talk about in the future. But that was a very interesting uh, situation. But to me, drop points tonight for both Porto and Benfica. And I think uh, Sporting got very lucky. And I think Braga has a golden opportunity now to get to within two points of Porto and Benfica. And they control their destiny to uh, get that close tonight. Uh, moving on to Sporting. Um, so they lost in the Taça de Portugal. Um, and then now they drop points. And I had mentioned in a previous episode that uh, this is a big test. This is their toughest month so far. They are a very young squad, basically sprinkled in with some older talent that's also done a great job. But they're getting tested. And I think so far, based on the results, I know they had that very impressive win against Braga to begin the month. I think if you're a sporting fan, you probably have to be a little bit worried. Um, and again, now you got to go play Porto. Uh, Sporting's had luck. Uh, you know, they've had success in the Tasa de Liga. So now in the midst of losing and having a draw, now you've got to go play one of the best teams in the league. So this is without a doubt a very big test uh, for Sporting. Um, if you're, uh, well, now I'll go with uh, Benfica. Uh, next. And by the way, I like to go in the order of the standings. And in case you wondered, by the way, last year, what decided who was in first, second, or third, fourth place throughout the year wasn't head to head. It was goal difference. The rule has changed, folks. Now it goes by head to head. In this case, Benfica having the away goal. So that's why Benfica is ahead in uh, second place. So that rule has changed. Last year was annoying because the legal rule. Again, you go by the legal rule, even if it didn't make any sense. You know, this says that the head-to-head -head only came into play at the end of the season and goal difference uh, would be what you would use to decide any teams that were tied with the same points. This year, they're going head-to-head. -head, and in this case, with the first leg in Benfica, having the away goal, that's why right now, even though Porto has a better goal difference, that's why Benfica is at second place. Now, I'll probably get an email or a DM on Twitter or Instagram and you know, people complaining because that's just the way it is with the Portuguese culture when people don't know the rules. But interestingly, that rule has changed for this year, in case you wonder, because I had a few people asking me. And if I'm wrong, as I always say, hit me up and tell me I'm wrong. And, you know, don't hesitate to call me bad names if you feel like it. Um, talking about uh, Benfica, of course, news came today, which, by the way, JJ only found out about in the press conference tonight. So in the flash interview, he found out that Sporting tied, and I believed him by his reaction. And then during the press conference, did he find out that Santos had made the announcement that Verissimo is going to be going to Benfica. Uh, Verissimo, of course, is with Santos. Santos is going to be playing Albo Ferreira and Palmeiras in the Copa Libertadores finals. So uh, when he does come, uh, by all reports, it won't be until after that. And I think another report said that he wouldn't come until probably after the Copa Brazil. But the bottom line is, is uh, all these months of talk, talk, talk. Um, and it looks like JJ is getting one of the players that he wanted the most. Uh, stories in the press about Florentino, who's with Monaco, maybe going on loan now to Valencia. Uh, so he may be changing leagues. Uh, Nuno Tavares has been linked with Napoli. Uh, this transfer window, by the way, compared to other transfer windows, hasn't been as crazy. 
in terms of the news, I mean, you remember last year, Bruno Fernandez? I mean, it was it was nuts. It was nuts. I remember, I think it was actually a year ago tonight when uh, the Derby, uh, Sporting Benfica, that that uh, Benfica game. Uh, well, no, it was Be- Benfica won that game, but that Benfica Sporting game in the middle of January last year got huge ratings in uh, in England. Um so we had a very crazy transfer market. But this year, it's just not the same. Um, I would anticipate next summer that'll change, especially with some of the sporting players. And I think a lot of that might also have to do with the pandemic and the money. And, um, you know, it's just a very depressed time economically right now, especially with some uh, lockdowns happening. Um, Porto, um Despite the draw tonight, they still haven't lost in their last 17. Uh, again, they um, all they know how to do is to basically get a point uh, or win. And in this case, tonight, they got the point, although they would have preferred to win. Uh, Porto now is going to have a very interesting week because – and you might hear Pinto da Costa maybe downplay it a little bit. You may hear Conceição maybe downplay it a little bit, but – it's the truth. It's the elephant in the room. Um, Porto has never won the Tasa de Liga. This is a Porto team by virtue of the fact that, you know, they won the Tasa de Portugal, they won the Liga, and then, of course, they won the Super Cup. So they're in a bit of a run right now where they're having a lot of success. So if there's ever a time for them to win that competition, which they've never won, I think there's been uh, 13 years of this competition, um, this would be the time. And uh, this is certainly a trophy that uh, they would like to have in their museum. I think about a week ago, they had a video on their Twitter account that they had a ceremony when they were bringing the Super Cup trophy into the museum. Um, No matter what you hear, people behind the scenes do not want to be known as the club that's never won the Tasa of the Liga, especially when you are a big three. So I really would be, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, I think they're going to go all out. I think they're going to go all out to win it. Uh, Champions League isn't until next month. Uh, so, again, I expect them fully to uh, go out and try to win this competition. Part three of the podcast and here to talk about off the pitch news, especially about Portugal itself, events, things that uh, are kind of not necessarily about the Liga, but do affect the Liga. And of course, we'll uh, start off first with UEFA on March the 5th. They're going to have a big meeting to discuss the Euro this summer, the rescheduled Euro. Among the questions that they're going to be discussing is number one, are they going to stick to the format of having the matches like they wanted to do it last year, having played in different countries, or are they going to perhaps put it in just one or two countries? They're talking about whether or not they'll be able to have fans at the matches, maybe up to 50%, 25%, or 10%. Um, and they're, of course, going to be discussing on March the 5th, which, you know, plenty of time, almost uh, March the 5th, you know, about a month and a half from now, the you know, basically the status of the pandemic in Europe and what does that mean for the Euro? Um, You know, uh, there's talk that perhaps maybe they're going to have most of the games played in England. Um, These days, England, of course, is in a very, very strict lockdown. um, And a lot of people are surprised to hear that. But when you start talking about a few months from now and 
England apparently, you know, again, if, if reports are to be believed, are doing a pretty good job with the vaccination process. And there's a thinking that by the time they get to March, uh, that they would have a good progress with it. Apparently, they're doing a lot better or faster than Germany. Um, again, this is what I've read. Uh, maybe you've heard something differently. But the bottom line is, is that the euro, there's going to be some discussions about the euro. Put a timestamp on this. I think what's going to happen is you're going to probably have to wait until the end of April or maybe early May before they can decide where they're going to play these games. Because if there's still problems in Europe, a lot of countries are having some very slow vaccination rollouts, very slow. Um, some countries probably, if they haven't vaccinated 50% of their population, is not going to want to host that match. They're not going to want fans coming, even if you're not allowed to. They don't want fans coming or trying to come anyway. So that presents a very interesting situation. But I think what's going to happen is, is by the time you get to maybe April, they're going to make a decision. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised. I know this would be a, loss, a lot of lost money because although they make most of their money from TV, there's also money to be made from the tickets. But I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, they only wind up having maybe 25% at the games. Again, if you want to be a fan of vaccine rollouts and you want more and more people to get the vaccine, this would be one of the reasons because um, unless that happens and unless the numbers start coming down, there's going to be a lot of questions to be had. I'm pretty sure they will have a euro whether it's got to be behind closed doors. I mean, obviously, we've got European competition going on. All the domestics lead. A lot of them are still playing. So the formula is there to play it, but uh, whether whether or not and how it happens and where it happens is pretty much the question mark at this point. But obviously, Portugal is scheduled to open up in Hungary. So we'll have to see what happens because obviously uh, Portugal is going to want to uh, find out their situation to get ready. I haven't heard anything about Portugal hosting. Um, I know uh, I've heard England is banning travel to Portugal, apparently because of a Brazilian variant of the virus. So there's a lot of craziness right now. I think people just got to wait until March and April before we figure out what's really possible and where could they be hosting uh, the Euro. But right now, not that it's supposed to happen, but it doesn't look good for Portugal to host any games if they wanted to. Talking about Portugal, uh, it's been a very rough week. Uh, you probably heard the news. They are in national lockdown. The second time that they've had to do that, going back to March and April. This time, it's a little bit different. First off, the professional sports are able to play. So in terms of the Liga and the Segunda Liga, the second division, they are okay, as well as some of the other leagues in Portugal. Um, basketball, roller hockey, futsal, those sports, as I understand, they're also able to play. And um, some people don't understand why. Most people do, and that's because these players have doctors around them. They have trainers. They're probably the most protected groups in Portugal, especially the Liga clubs, you know, players from Benfica, Porto, and Sporting. I mean, these are players, but they're also commodities. Um, and even though these, every once in a while you hear cases like what we heard with Sporting this week and Porto, the bottom line is, is they really are very well protected. They're in a bit of a mini bubble. So sports, uh, the good news this time around is that uh, a lot of the sports are going to continue, unlike what happened back in the spring when in many parts of the world, Portugal no different everything came to a uh, close. But the big, the bad news in Portugal is not only the lockdown, which they say could potentially last until March, 
you know, they're going to be evaluated every two weeks and then they'll make a decision. And, um, you know, it's got to be tough being a restaurant owner. You can only do takeaway. Um, you know, it's, it's tough, but Portugal does have an economic system set up to back up these businesses, these, uh, especially the non-essential businesses, depending on how much money they made last year compared to what they lost this year. There is a formula for them to, uh, get, get paid, but uh, in Portugal uh, these days, uh, the numbers are not very good. Some days, 10,000 positive cases. Uh, seems like a few times lately, they set the record for deaths. And um, it's obviously very scary. And, um, you know, it's just not a very good time in Portugal. Now, one other thing that, by the way, is open is the schools. Those are also open. The only thing I feel sorry for with the kids is I, I couldn't believe when I first read it, then I saw a photo and I asked some cousins of mine in Portugal, but apparently a lot of the kids are going to school across all the levels, but a lot of them going to school. And, and if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong, please. I don't want to be giving out any wrong information, but I understand you got to keep the windows and doors open from what I've read. And uh, imagine going to school and it's uh, 35 degrees outside or 40 degrees or in the Celsius, you know, two or three degrees Celsius because Portugal, it's been very cold this past week in Portugal uh, Portugal is considered to be a country that doesn't get as cold as it's been getting this last week. Um, I know a lot of people in my region of Minu that don't even have heaters in their home, and they've been really uh, struggling because uh, most people are used to dealing with the weather, but never getting this bad. But uh, Portugal, again, in a national lockdown, sports is able to continue and obviously the goal of the prime minister and the government is to try to get the cases down to a few thousand. And of course, much less than that, um, Portugal does continue the vaccination process. Last I heard, it was something like um, 84,000 uh, or something people that have been vaccinated already. And obviously those are people in long-term care, um, as well as, of course, uh, people that work in the hospitals. Uh, one interesting thing about Portugal is that even though they are in a lockdown, they are still going to be having the presidential election, which kind of surprised me. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you vote, don't forget to bring your own pen. That's what they're saying. Um, but apparently they uh, will be uh, having uh, the election. Uh, I think they're doing a, an early day on the 17th and then the day on the 24th. Uh, so that's going to happen. And uh, the president of Portugal this week tested negative, then he tested positive, then he tested negative, And then one of the media was interviewing him in his car. And by the way, he was driving his own car going home, which I thought was awesome, um, I, unless maybe there was some security in the back seat. And he was very annoyed because he didn't know whether or not he was going to, you know, tested negative, then he tested positive, and then it was negative, and he wasn't sure whether or not he had permission to go to uh, the debates that night with all the other candidates, and he was pretty annoyed about that. Uh, so I, I thought that was a pretty interesting situation. But the bottom line is, is the numbers are not good in Portugal. There is going to be sports, but there's going to be a lockdown, and there's a lot of people inconvenience, but at the end of the day, it's about saving lives. And uh, a lot of people pay attention to the score of their team. There's a lot more people in Portugal now paying attention to the daily indicators, the numbers that come out with the cases. And the goal right now is that these numbers start to drop because otherwise they're going to continue this lockdown possibly into March. And, uh, you know, I know I have a lot of uh, listeners and followers in England. Wish you the best. I know you're in lockdown. Um was talking to a few people today, including my next guest next week. Uh, Canada is under lockdown. Um, you know, they don't necessarily have a curfew like Portugal, from what I understand. 
but uh, things are not uh, going very well over there. So again, um, wherever you are, whatever part of the world you are, our goal, of course, is to make sure that we get this under control. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, like I always say, episode to episode that I can report better news. Um, And unfortunately, this particular week, I can't do that. But again, hoping for better times. Folks, thanks for listening to me. Uh, Please stay safe and sound. And I'll talk to you soon.